Hi, and welcome back to the Be A Better Ally podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she and her. Today, I cannot believe I am about to share with you that this episode has a conversation with the creator of Queer Kid Stuff, Lens. If you have anything to do with education or parenting, caretaking, uh, it's likely a name that you recognize. So you might want to push pause, go get your ukulele, and um, get ready for an amazing conversation. I did everything that I could to try and not embarrass myself in being such a fan of queer kid stuff during the interview. I've edited out the parts where I I was probably a a little bit too embarrassing, Uh, but I just want to thank Linz again. Um, I I know that they are such a busy creator. They've got a lot of projects on, so it means so much uh, that they took the time to share some of the the behind-the-scenes stories, um, a little bit about um, queer kid stuff, how it was created, some of the values behind it, as well as uh, some of the things that I did not necessarily know about how their TED Talk, Why Kids Need to Learn About Gender and Sexuality, how it got to the place that it is today, where it has more than 2 million views. Uh, so I hope that you enjoy our conversation and um, and that you learn a little bit about an upcoming book from Linz as well, uh, and that you be sure to tell librarians to get ready for it. It comes out in fall 2022. Enjoy our conversation. Okay, folks, I am here with somebody that needs absolutely no introduction. Um, you know, when they jumped on the call, I was just sort of shocked that it wasn't YouTube that I was watching. But uh, today we have creator, CEO, writer, producer, host of Queer Kid Stuff. Uh, you know, I, I think every single listener of my show will recognize the voice immediately. And, you know, I kind of, I, I want to jump in with Queer Kid Stuff because I, I actually just in, in getting ready for this conversation, I was thinking, how many episodes have there been? And there's been over 50 over the course of four different episodes. And it was really interesting. It's great that you have up on the site that it actually, the whole show started with you doing a Google search and realizing that answer is not really sufficient for kids. Um, and you wanted to do a little bit more. Uh, and, and I'm kind of you know doing more than 50 episodes is certainly doing more. And I'm wondering if at this point, as you look back over all of those episodes, if there's a few that just sort of stand out to you that you know in your career, like these are going to be the ones that I am particularly either proud of um, or for whatever reason, they, you just know like this episode is going to stick with me. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole first season really was just like the thing that kicked everyone off. Those are like some of the episodes that people I think go back to and back to because they're the fundamentals, right? I think like the episode on like what is gender is huge. And I think what I talk about the most is gender and pronouns because I think that that's the thing that's also most relevant to the kind of preschool audience that I'm talking to, right? And I think it's the thing that really helps hopefully parents give and, and educators give kind of like a, a a ground zero kind of like approach to what gender is to a young age group. So I think the gender episode, the first gender episode is really huge for the series. And I, and I love the like, what is queer episode with the unicorn onesie. I think like this was all early days, of course, like this was very early on in what I was doing. And like, I didn't really know what I was doing at the time, but like, I think I was doing something, right? Cause people are clearly still watching these episodes. And I think people even 
like aside from like having conversations about sexuality and gender, I think people are scared of using the word queer with kids. And I think like really demystifying it and making an approachable word for young folks is something that I'm really proud of. And like, I think that people get scared off by the title of the series, being called queer kid stuff. And this was something I really wanted to do at the outset. Like there's so much of like queer theory and like gender studies and, and all of that that I started kind of gathering up in undergrad. So much of that is baked into the series and it's just a really crucial thing to understand. And I get a lot of inspiration from, from Fred Rogers. And I think what I love that he did was, you know, the, the, every kid is special. And I think what I'm trying to do with queer kid stuff is go even one step further and say that your difference is what makes you special. And I think queerness is a huge part of that and reframing um, difference as something that is like, yeah, like difference can be weird. Difference can be funky. Difference can be whatever you want it to be, but like that doesn't mean it's bad. And I, I, I hope that that's kind of the message that the series gives to kids generally. And, and that episode for me was really like a mission statement. Um, so yeah, the whole first season, just in terms of like really getting the bedrock and like fundamentals of what I'm trying to do. But um, those two episodes in particular, talking about what does queer mean and what is gender have really, um, I think, taken on a life of their own in the greater body of the work that I'm trying to do. And I think especially like with gender, like I ended up coming out as non-binary in the middle of the show. And that was a wild journey to go on of like, coming out for myself and understanding that for myself and then like trying to figure out how to present that and like essentially having a document of my coming out story in like a kid-friendly way that's like pretty packaged but like also was something I was thinking through and like I'm still on that gender journey absolutely so it's it's pretty cool to have like a document of that and also to model a coming out story that wasn't just like sexuality and talking about gender as a coming out story in itself too, I think was important. Um, and I don't think kids see that in their media even still. So yeah, those are the, th- the things that kind of stick out for me um, just on well, an initial look back. And I know I'm speaking for like thousands of educators when I say, you know, thank you for creating that product because you're right, kids don't have it in their media. And, you know, most folks I know who are in education who are around my age, Um, You know, it truly is so innovative to see it presented in a way that's not just educational and informative, but you really and truly are an amazing performer to watch. (laughs) And I think for folks who are like, I can't imagine what a conversation like that for, you know, early years children would be like, you know, yours is always the resources that I see kind of whenever that question comes up. It's like, well, here's queer kid stuff. Here's exactly what that conversation can be like. And what I love is that on um, queerkidstuff.com, you've also listed the the values behind it. And I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit about um, queerful as being a a core value, as well as it being community-centered. Because uh, as a longtime viewer, I feel like that absolutely comes comes through. And I'm kind of wondering, were the values also something that um, evolved organically Mm -hmm. uh, or was that something that, that was there beforehand? Yeah. So the, the journey of it all is interesting (laughs) because I, I started queer kid stuff in 2016, which was like, 
not too long after I came out of grad school. So I was like in my early 20s, like knew that I wanted to do queer storytelling work for kids. And, and my background's actually in theater. That's kind of where I came to all of this from. And um, kind of looked around in that space and saw that there was absolutely nothing um, happening um, that had queer themes that was for preschool and family audiences. And so queer kids stuff kind of came about from the Google search, absolutely, but, and, and just kind of a, a scene that like, there's this huge gaping hole and wanting to use my skill sets to attempt to fill just a tiny sliver of it. And um, that gaping hole is like a little bit more filled in, but there's still like a very long way to go. We can talk about that for sure. Um, but yeah, the way that it kind of came about, like I put up that pilot episode that like is terrible quality <laughs> and like we were just kind of winging it. I didn't even have a script for that episode and it just kind of took off um, in like kind of the good sense and the bad sense, like Nazis found it, but also like the people who needed to find it found it, which was great and got me kind of doing it more. But like I kind of stumbled on this thing, I think before I was ready. And, you know, early twenties, you're just like experimenting with stuff and trying to figure it out along the way. And I absolutely made mistakes for sure. And um, it's, it's taken me a long time to kind of figure out like, okay, we made more of that series. That's great. We amassed content. That's awesome. Then I turned it into a live performance series, going to schools and libraries and doing the songs and telling stories and, and being in direct contact with kids and families and classrooms. That was incredible. And, you know, still doing some of that work, despite, you know, mostly being in virtual spaces. But the um, kind of values that we came up with were really a thing that started kind of during the pandemic of figuring out like, okay, I want to build this thing out. Like, how do I do that? I don't have these live performances anymore. That was kind of like the primary mode of what I was doing after I ended the series, um, which happened for many different reasons. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it was really coming out of a want to build something sustainable and um, reliable and something like for the people who love this work and who need it to like help them understand themselves, help affirm their families, help, you know, give this audience something that I think it's really, really hungry for, right? So the values propositions that we, that me and my team came up with, um, I have a team now, which is cool. Um, we came up with that um, at the beginning of 2021. So this past uh, January, I think is when we kind of debuted those values. And that was really just about like, okay, we have all this stuff. What is kind of like the core of it all? What is, how can we put that into words? How can we define that? How can we make that concrete and um, queerful was just like the obvious thing of like this series and like the work that I'm doing is just so queer forward. It's so queer centric, queer affirming, queer supportive. And so there's a fullness about it that feels queer. And, and so that, that came up first as like, this is, this is an, a, a core value of the work that we put out, especially like stuff that we put out, like, um, in-house essentially um, that we put our name on our brand I'm doing a lot of work kind of externally trying to <laughs> queer mainstream children's media a little bit um, so that's also part of the work as well but um, 
anything that we do that is from us is going to have kind of a queer centered nature. That's what you come to us for as a as a hub, as a space where we're not talking about just a safe space, right? This is a space where queerness is fundamentally centered. Um, and I think that families, queer families and families with queer kids don't have those spaces, especially in kind of like the wider digital realms. Um, so th that's that's what the queerful idea is coming from. And in terms of like looking to a community-centered approach, you know, building community around queer kid stuff is something that I've really struggled with because the original series lives on YouTube and YouTube is actively aggressive against the content that I make. And it's it's really frustrating to have built an incredible community around the series, but not have, be able to have any kind of contact with that or back and forth or conversation with that audience. So it's been a real kind of test for us to attempt to like, what, what is, is that, that conversation? Where can it be had? How can it be had like, like like tangibly and so that's that's something that we've really been working on through building out a new newsletter through building out our instagram presence and really attempting to build that channel that we've never really had the opportunity to build because of the nature of where our content really took off and started so that's kind of like what we're trying to think about in terms of community building and centering our work on community and you know this really being the work of like preaching to the choir a little bit um and you know that being an important aspect of what we do outside of kind of like the larger advocacy that we're, that I'm trying to do in the children's media space, um, which is kind of like the fight side of it all. Um, so yeah, I think it's really, really important to remember to like double down and like back up into that supportive space. Cause you know, I need it just as much as I think the kids and families and parents do, because, you know, I'm going on to these spaces that are like incredibly conservative and homophobic, transphobic, microaggressionful. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it's as much for the, the quote unquote audience as it is for me as the creator. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I also, I take your point about preaching to the choir, but it really has been my experience that um, maybe as a member of the choir, you know, we're, we're passing that on all the time. Mm -hmm. And I've, yeah. you know, I've been in that room where, you know, like watching an episode of your series, somebody watching it and that light bulb just going off and them realizing, wow, the fact that this is so radical is the issue. And then all mm -hmm. of a sudden realizing so much of mainstream media is so heteronormative. Um, and mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's all of a sudden the fish being aware, like, oh, sh ooh, there's water, you know, there's water yep. everywhere and they become aware of it. Um, and, and I'm, I'm glad that you brought up too, that, that you, you do sessions with schools. And as you said, you know, those are, are virtual right now. I was really interested in one of the talks that you offer to schools for digital uh, creators, because, you know, of course it's so exciting to be an educator in an era where it's not, you know, when I was a kid, it was like, I could have the book report and then maybe print it out and it goes on the fridge. But in terms of, you know, students today working in a realm where they can, they have an authentic audience. 
it's both, you know, really powerful, but as you say, there's some uh, repercussions that you need to be aware of too. And I'm wondering if you kind of just want to briefly outline um, some of the ideas or um, maybe even just sort of, you know, what inspired you to have that as one of your offerings, uh, the, the digital creator talk. So folks who are thinking, wow, yes, I would love to have that at my school. Uh, what might that mean? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, in uh, just trying to understand where, um, what the resources you're talking about. So the, um, like the workshops that I've been doing in schools. Yes. For, 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 cause I do the family performances and school performances. That's like a little bit more geared toward like, what is gender talking about pronouns and all that stuff. But, um, for kind of like high schoolers and like kind of college age, like a little bit older, I've done kind of like, yeah, how, what, like my journey has been into, kind of becoming a digital creator, becoming, becoming kind of like a, an accidental activist of sorts. Um, and I think what's really, yeah, okay, so that kind of side of things, because I, I mean, there are some people who, th there's a community for sure of queer people who are attempting to make queer stuff for kids. Um, I mean, Bear Bergman with Flamingo Rampant is incredible. Kyle Lukoff has, uh, when Amy became a brother, Maya Gonzalez has Reflection Press. Um, there's a lot of really incredible people who are kind of coming up and attempting to do this work. Um, but there aren't a lot of us and there's a reason for that. It's really, really hard. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's about doing the work, obviously, but it's also about cultivating a community of other people who can do this work as well, because I'm a white person. Like I can like use my whiteness to attempt to like punch through, but I'm only gonna be able to punch through and share my perspective, right? So like, I am not a black trans person. Like that is an incredibly different experience. I am not a native person. That is an incredibly different experience. And I wanna be able to show kids across queer intersectionalities that they can be who they are. It's not just about like, hey, here is white queerness, here is white transness, this is what your life can look like because not like a, a you know, a, a Latina, you know, queer kid is going to look at me and say, okay, I see your transness, I see your queerness, but like, you're also not, you're not encapsulating my entire experience as a Latina person. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's incredibly important to nurture future creators in this work because it's, it's a space that is so, so dry and desolate. <laughs> like there's just so much space we have to fill. And, you know, like if I get a million dollars like <laughs> tomorrow, like that's all getting redistributed, right? To my community because it's so, like I cannot be the face of an entire community like that. And like, I think um, something, you know, that I, as a, especially as a white person and practicing anti-racism, practicing decolonizing my mind and the mind of my viewers and uh, audience, fans, whatever you want to call folks, um, you know, it's about making sure that we're telling the whole story, right? And making sure that, you know, if we're going to be feeling this like enormous gaping hole that, you know, I am not even 
capable of doing that myself, right? That is an enormous job. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to fill that hole myself because then you're having the same problem, right? You're filling it with the same thing that's like happening all over the place. And the whole point of all of this is to diversify content. So yeah, it's that kind of talk is to, you know, encourage people to put themselves out there and like, try this, try making this work and try pushing. And that like, you know, I think it's important to really double down on your own identity and your own stories and your own skill sets, right? Like I looked at this problem that I was seeing in the world, you know, with the Google search and I looked at my skill sets, right? And I said, how can I personally attempt to fix this problem with a solution that I can personally like execute, right? So I I think that that's kind of the biggest part of all that for me is like making sure it's not, that it's actually a feasible thing that we can do together. And I I wonder, I I almost feel like tangent tangentially, that's a hard word to say right now. You're also talking about the the newer podcast production that um, that you've been sharing out, Activist You, because I think too, when we're trying to inspire future creators, future storytellers, sometimes in schooling, I almost feel like it's we wait so long to be sharing that story of who a change maker is, what a social justice mm-hmm. movement is. And of course, that podcast is yet again, looking to younger listeners to educate them in terms of here's what social justice is. Here's what, you know, change making is all about. Uh, And and I'm kind of wondering, uh, you know, a little bit of the backstory behind that podcast, how that came to be. Um, What was, what was that sort of origin story? Yeah. Activist is you is, it it was a cool project. It it was something I was, I was mostly doing during kind of like lockdown and the pandemic. Um, and I, I'm not totally sure if or when we're going to have a second season. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping something happens. Um, but yeah, I thought that that project was really cool. Cause I, you know, something that I want to try and do in, in my work is like pass the mic to kids as much as humanly possible, because I think that like, you know, this goes back to uh, childism and, you know, the discrimination against kids for being kids. And I think that we just got to listen to young people, (laughs) right? Young people are doing incredible things. You look at Greta Thunberg, you look at Emma Gonzalez, you look at all these incredible youth activists who are doing beautiful work and the work of future building, right? And I think that they have new ideas and they are uh, incredibly adept at technology and the way the world is moving into the future. And I think that we got to listen to kids and, and I think other kids got to listen to kids for inspiration. You know, I think we look at, you know, celebrities and people who have found quote unquote success and we, we see them at that point of success. And it's so hard to make the journey to that space transparent, especially for young people. I think we see, you know, someone like, uh, you know, Congresswoman AOC, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and we see like, okay, she's in the House of Representatives. This is cool. This is great. She did that whole campaign. But like, we don't necessarily talk about the fact that she was bartending for like years and years and like that, like she didn't necessarily like want to be a politician like when she was an undergrad. And like, we, everyone who 
achieves that level, like has a story of getting there. And I think like what's cool about talking to kids about activism, especially kid activists, is that you're meeting them at that place of like wanting to change and wanting to figure out their path toward that change and showing kids that like you can step into this in your life at whatever, you know, way feels comfortable to you and how you want to enact change in your day-to-day and it doesn't have to be so scary and overwhelming as like becoming a politician right so I think it's really for me about passing the mic to young people but also just like really demystifying what a change maker is and can be so that that was kind of like the crux of that project. Um, I'm, I'm hoping we can get another season of it, um, get someone to help me produce it, but I'm um, uh, not totally sure where that's, that project's going yet, but we've got a lot of other things in the works. You do. Uh, and, and actually, before we get to that, you know, as you were talking about sort of the, almost the shadow of success, like what go, goes into that, that journey, mm-hmm. your TED Talk, Why Kids Need to Learn About Gender and Sexuality, has over 2 million views. I'm sure that's not news to you, um, but, you know, but to have that level of uh, viral success with a, a TED talk, you know, that's, that's definitely not the everyone experience. And I'm sort of wondering what, what do you think are some things that maybe folks don't realize about getting to that moment of having a TED talk that's mm. been seen over 2 million times, um, you know, Again, I as I take your point that sometimes we see a successful person and we think they just landed there, and that's normally not what what happened. Um, <clears throat> so, what what might be kind of in the in the shadow of that really really successful statistic about about your talk, which is wonderful, by the way, and the link to it will be over there in the show notes for anyone. If you're not one of those two million people, be sure to take a look at it. <laughs> Thank you, appreciate that. Yeah, um, leading up to the TED Talk was really just like you know the what, four years of building out Queer Kid Stuff as a series and, um, you know, championing, producing that, which was no small feat, um, and really pushing and like being persistent about it. Like there are plenty of people who make a couple of episodes of a web series and then like never touch it again. Like this was something that I, and like the team that I brought together who are just incredible humans. um, And I'm, there were, there were a lot of factors that led to like making queer kid stuff, like a thing that like I was able to produce for that long. Absolutely. Um, but I think, yeah, for me, it was really just grinding away at making all of those episodes. I mean, I taught myself how to edit videos. I taught myself how to basically show run a small web series. Like I, um, did all of the outreach to all of the guests. Like it was a lot of grind and legwork and we it was like the smallest shoestring budget you could think of I mostly we mostly survived on micro grants from different nonprofits over the years so I was writing grant uh grant proposals like the whole time that I was doing queer kid stuff it was a heck of a lot of work um and that's you know doing handling the PR myself and building relationships with journalists was a big part of that too and getting like you know written up on Teen Vogue and getting, um, having a relationship with Huffington Post at the time and um, all these other places who were also kind of like putting us out on the megaphone, right? And going on podcasts. And it was just, yeah, a lot of work went into, you know, even before stepping into the TED offices, right? And so 
the TED thing came about because, you know, I had that body of work, right? And I had, um, I was friends with um, Jackson Bird, who's a trans YouTuber who's incredible. Um, and he had done um, the TED residency program in New York. I was living in New York at the time. And he had gotten a TED talk out of that. And I applied to the residency program and used him as a referral and ended up getting into the program, um, having kind of like an idea worth spreading um, and worked with the staff there on the speech and on, you know, we had workshops on uh, trying to kind of coach each other with the cohort that I was a part of and um, kind of culminating that in this kind of like, kind of epic performance, right? Then, you know, I was lucky out of my cohort, my talk got chosen to get featured on the front page of TED.com and that really, uh, for Pride Month, so that was just like a lot of traffic that came to it. So it was all of these, it wasn't just one thing, right? It's like a whole body of work of like four years of stuff and doing that consistently and and putting that out there despite, oh my goodness, all of the backlash and pushback that I got. I like, I have very real social media trauma because of that. And like, that was something uh, I, I continue to work through. And, um, but that was really, really hard to continue going against, especially, I mean, that was height of the Trump era, right? Like mm -hmm. I started, <laughs> started queer kid stuff in 2016, like as he was getting, as he was running in the primary, right? So it was quite a wild ride. And uh, I, I wish I could have made more episodes, but it was just, I was a little burned out of them by the time we ended. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was all of that coming together and just like, I am an incredibly stubborn person. <laughs> and, uh, and I just kind of stuck with it and pushed because I believed in it. And I think my audience believes in it and all the people that I'm trying to reach, because I think there really isn't a lot else for, for folks to go to. I think there's more now than there was when I started for sure. Um, that's not to erase all the work other folks are doing in this space, but you know, in terms of like something that's like broad strokes, national, like national, international accessibility, like there really isn't anything else in the kids media space that's like this. And, you know, I mean, I still haven't been able to sell it to a big network, right? To like, hopefully one day reboot it. Like that's like absolutely a dream of mine and is something that I'm working toward. And like, it hasn't happened yet, uh, but maybe it will. <laughs> we just gotta manifest, but uh yeah, it took a whole heck of a lot of heart and a team behind me who really, really believed in not just the work, but in me. So yeah, it it, it takes a lot to even just get to that TED stage um, and the body of work that I brought there. And also just like the practice I had performing, like as a performer, as a, my background's in performance. And I think my TED talk came out really, really well because I have that experience and I was able to perform the talk. And I think it reads really well on camera. And that's a, a huge part of virality, right? Of like actually producing something that people want to watch. And like, that's just happens to be a skill set that I have um, because I went to college for it and I studied acting as a teenager. And, and it's, uh, that's something that I've pursued for a long time. Um, so yeah, 
that's a rambling answer, but that's my answer. <laughs> no, I think, you know, it's so important. I think especially sometimes when it it's like a quote unquote viral moment, it can seem like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, that just happened overnight. Um, and, you know, again, kind of debunking that and looking at, as you say, it was years and years and years of building up that body of work, which is something that you're still doing. You have a book coming out um, in the fall of 2020, The Radical Notion mm-hmm. of Queer Joy. Uh, and I'm, I'm just sort of wondering if you want to talk a little bit, because I, you know, I almost feel bad asking you. It's like, you've done so much and we're hungry for more. <laughs> Great. We can't look forward to, you know, we're so excited for more content from you. Um can you tell us I'm a little bit about that? I'm hungry to give it to you. I'm okay, hungry to make it. I, I want people to give me all of the money so I can make <laughs> all the things that I want to make. No, I, I just I I'm tired of doing it all on my own. I think that that's that's the frustration. I just want people to like green light everything I want to do, <laughs> but doesn't every creator right? Um, so the book is really for a parent and like educator, adult, grown up audience, um, and I think it's really a essentially like guide to how to raise kids in a queer affirming way. And it's really coming from, you know, I'm not a parent yet. I'm not a a trained educator. I I do music education and I'm a performer and I specialize in storytelling for kids. And I'm a queer and trans person who once was a queer and trans kid, right? So really coming from a lot of like personal perspective and grabbing kind of experts from this community that's kind of built up around this work, right? Like, because I think I've been a little bit of a lightning rod for folks who do this stuff. So I've been able to kind of collect a community around folks who are doing a lot of this work, right? And that's been a part of the work over the last couple of years, especially sitting at home during a pandemic and, you know, meeting people through your screen, right? So the book is really about, you know, taking parents through that journey of like, how do we talk to kids about this stuff? But and, and outlining and, and understanding what those conversations can be, but also really like stripping down and helping parents and educators and caregivers with the unlearning process. So like the secret of queer kids stuff is that it's 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 a kid show, but it's really for grownups. And and I loved what you said about you know watching it with someone in the room who like has that light bulb moment. And I think that that is like really a big part of the magic of the show is that really it's so not dumbed down. It's it, it's simple. It become it, it's simplified to universal universal truths that anyone can understand, including a toddler, which is who I'm writing it for, but also like literally anyone from like an infant to like your great, great grandma. Like, I, and I think that the the book is really, uses kind of like the language that I've developed around the show and around how to talk about sexuality and gender and disguising like an adult's unlearning as like, this is how you unlearn this so that you can talk to kids about it. And so you can understand these concepts for yourselves so that you can have these really robust and deep conversations with young people. So uh, yeah, and so it talks about sexuality, it'll talk about gender, those are kind of like the big ones. But then we also get into like intersectionality and like, how do we talk about like our full identities and how do we talk about activism and how do we talk about queer history and how do we talk about like social justice as a whole and like what's the difference between an ally and a comrade and really kind of like getting you know this foundational kind of like 101 but also like how do we build on that how do we expand that further out so that we can be 
you know, conscious and purposeful in all these topics that aren't just around gender and sexuality, but how do we take the principles developed in those conversations, the, the vulnerability we're practicing, practicing with young people, the active unlearning that we're practicing in conjunction with young people, and how do we, you know, use that while we're also practicing anti-racism, while we're practicing decolonizing our minds, because all of these the all of these you know practices are so intertwined with each other if you are practicing anti-racism but you're not also dealing with your internalized transphobia you're not doing it right and so that's that's really what the book is trying to do as kind of like a jumping off point of like here's how you get started here is like the very beginning and the scaffolding the blueprint of all of this and like go read this and like hopefully absorb some of it and then like go out into the world and like attempt to practice it on your own and like start that journey because it really is a lifelong learning right and I think um it's it's important to maybe have like your hand held a little bit so at least in the beginning to get comfortable so that's kind of what the book is attempting to do I am so excited for that book to come out. And I, I recognize for content creators, uh, sometimes there are spaces where it is more ideal for the audience to go to pre-order or order the book. Um, again, for folks who are thinking, I want to make sure I get a copy of that. Is there a place that uh, you would advise us to go to make sure that we're ordering that copy so that, you know, again, it, I, I love the idea that kind of funding your work, supporting your work also means there's going to be more of these resources out in the world. So yes. um, where, where would you point us to in order to, to get a copy of it that kind of helps you the best? Yeah, yeah. So we don't have um, any kind of like pre-order links yet. We're still at least a year out. So <laughs> we're a little early on that. Um, but if folks want to go to the website and sign up for our newsletter, that we're really building out kind of like weekly content there and trying to create kind of like a robust member based community. Um, so you can support us there. It's just $5 a month. Um, and if you can't afford it, just let us know and we'll, uh, we'll get you in there on a sliding scale somehow. Um, and that's really where we're going to be putting a lot of our announcements leading up to the book and all of the other cool projects that I'm, we're attempting to <laughs> bring <laughs> into, into reality. Um, so yeah, if you sign up for our newsletter, if you want to become a member, that's great. You get kind of like exclusive content or whatever. Um, but yeah, if you just sign up for the newsletter, you'll know all the things that are going to start coming out over the next like year, year, year and a half. Great. And listeners, of course, those links will be over there in the show notes. Um, it's also, I think, you know, a great idea to let your local librarians know this book is coming so they can prepare some orders for it. Whoever's responsible for ordering books for your school library, um, you know, get on Goodreads, make sure that you can amplify and, and hype up this book as much as possible. Uh, final question. You know, I'm just kind of wondering if you could travel back in time to, you know, the moment before you shared that very first video of the web series, what do you think is the thing that, uh, you know, future or present you uh, could say that, you know, what's kind of the, the biggest surprise in the journey that you have had so far? Or if you could give a message to that you right before you shared that first video, um, what do you think you might tell earlier 2016 version you? I would have told myself to turn off my notifications on YouTube, <laughs> maybe to get a block list together. Um, I definitely would have done that, but also like would have told myself, like, I, I knew that I was doing something that could 
be a thing. Um, and I, I, I knew that when I, when I put the first episode up and I think I would just tell myself like, you know, you're right. This is a big thing. And like, it's going to be really hard, but it's going to be really, really fruitful. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, it just (laughs) got a little emotional there. Um, just, yeah, it's that it's so, so, so worth what's really hard about it. And knowing that like, you know, I come from a theater background. I'm so used to a in-person audience that like gives you applause at the end of a performance. And like, that's not the experience of a web series and is a big reason why I started doing live performances at schools and libraries in the first place, just like (laughs) for, for my own like sanity and like need to have that kind of like direct interaction with an audience. Um, so I think uh, also just like telling myself that like that that's a possibility in the future too of like, this is something you can really turn into something much larger and um, that your audience like is there. And I think that like, I forget that sometimes and uh, that it really does and it will affect people in a, in a meaningful way. So yeah, those are, those are some of the, some of the bullet points. It made me a little emotional too. I mean, I'm just, I'm so happy that you had that sense early on that you were onto something big because, uh, you know, those early videos are very special. They are so joyful. And it's an interesting point that, you know, when you're producing content digitally, you can't necessarily see the audience's reaction. And for whatever it is worth, any educator who I know who cares about inclusion, equity, and justice, um, your name is always one that is mentioned in our conversations. And and I know so many people are so thankful for the work that you have done and continue to do. So I wish there was a way almost to have all of those people like applaud you right now in the podcast, but really, you know, deeply, truly profoundly, thank you so much for changing that media landscape for forever. I really think that web series is historic Um, And it is a resource that I know so many people will continue to go to again and again. So thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. It really does.